you have to understand, homelessness is not a public safety issue. Homelessness is a public health issue. We have to understand, we have to begin to stop using language that criminalizes homeless New Yorkers. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda-Salgado. In March, Mayor Eric Adams announced his plan to rid the city of homeless encampments. And over the past couple of weeks alone, workers from the Department of Homeless Services and the NYPD have cleared hundreds of encampments across the city. And while Adams has pledged to provide housing, many homeless individuals don't want to stay in a shelter. Between horrible living conditions, strict rules, and very little privacy, some feel it's even worse than living on the streets. In fact, out of the 239 encampments cleared at the end of March, only five people moved into shelters. This is why the mayor has favored what's known as a safe haven. A safe haven is considered a low-threshold shelter, which means it has less rules, more privacy, and oftentimes mental health and substance abuse services. Today, I talked to Shams DeBaron. Shams, known as the homeless hero, is a local advocate. He remembers what it was like to be homeless and living in a shelter in New York City. My name is Shams DeBaron. I'm from the Bronx in Harlem. I grew up in foster care since the age of two. But at the age of 10, I started experiencing homelessness. At the age of 12, I was permanently discharged into the streets without a safety net. I'm known as the homeless hero because I advocate from that experience to empower other people that are homeless and let them know that You know, our stories don't have to always be or end in gloom or doom. We also can speak to policy and provide solutions. So I'll give you a brief overview because we can go on and on. I've been homeless since the age of 10. So can you imagine Mm -hmm. in the streets as a single adult? I've been in the the streets. The streets, in, in in a nutshell, was much safer and gave me much more sanctuary in terms of having security than the congregate shelters that I were placed in. Those places were dangerous. I call them death traps. So in those places, yeah, there were rapes, robberies, beatings, stabbings, security, beating up people, abusive interactions from staff members. Those places were so horrible that to go in the streets, I was actually able to regain some of my dignity that was lost in that experience. So survival for me just meant being on my park bench, establishing my own safe area or my own safe sense of security because it's very dangerous in the streets as well. You're you're out in the open and you can be subjected to attacks, you know, but you find ways to survive, you know, because I had so many years in it, I kind of learned how to survive in different environments. Yeah. What would make living in the street better than living in a shelter? Like what, what was the experience like for you? Well, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, living in the shelters, I mean, you're surrounded, you're in a congregate setting. You have, if you're going to the bathroom and someone's getting raped, you don't want to encounter that because the next rape victim could be you. If someone is sexually assaulted while sleeping, you don't want to deal with that. If someone who, who is mentally ill is going through something and that could affect you, 
if someone is using a substance and maybe you're you're in recovery, you don't want to be triggered because it's open air drug use and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So these are the, the that's the reality of shelter life. And the other side is that it's such a dehumanizing process that you go through in terms of like just for instance, I can give you a simple thing. If I get two hundred and fifty dollars in public assistance benefits, cash benefits in the street and maybe $250 in food stamps, I'll learn how to survive off of that money. But when you're in the shelter, if I the choice to go in there means that I will lose $200 out of that $250, reducing my benefit to $50, to $2250 every two weeks. So how do you survive off of that? How do you get basic necessity? So one reason not to go in there is because you simply will, they will take away what little bit of money that they give you and leave you with nearly nothing. And then here's the main thing. There are no services on site. New York City has a right to shelter law. So if you need shelter, they have to provide it. But what they don't require under Callahan is the provision of services on site. And therein lies your your problem. Because if I'm a person that might be in need of services, I'm not going to get that by going into a shelter. And if there are people that are struggling who are placed in these environments, their struggles only become worse in those type of environments. Mm-hmm. So yes, a person who experienced it, who's seen that, will say, you know what, I'll try my luck in the streets. What is the difference between the safe havens and the shelter? What do you think will make them different than the shelters? So the difference between a safe haven, uh, you said safe haven, right? Yeah. And a shelter is, Mm -hmm. shelters are usually usually just warehouses. So you get your bed, your three hearts, your cot. You leave in the morning, be back by 10 before curfew. And if you miss curfew, we'll give you another bed. A safe haven is more of a low barrier environment. Usually, uh, single rooms where you have your own space or you might, you might share space with somebody, but not large congregate settings like many of the shelters. The other thing is that in, in the safe haven model that we're trying to have exist, there'll be wraparound services on site. So you can access that as opposed to having to go places or you may not even want to do all that because it's not part of your lifestyle. But if it's on site, it may be something there that you can say, you know what, since I'm here, let me look into it. The, the safe havens that I've sent people to, they, if you if you miss your bed, you don't lose it. You might not come back for two or three days. You might go spend time with your family. The holidays come. I couldn't do that. I couldn't maintain relationships in the shelter. So there's a huge difference. And the model, what we're pushing for is a reimagining of these places to be places where people have access to medical help. Not a hospital, but a place where there would be a doctor or a visiting doctor that can come and provide medical services to people. A place where you will have peer specialists that can come and engage if you have mental health issues or substance use issues where you can have programming that might be life skills pro classes or workshops that might be resume writing or job development workshops, but it'd be on site as opposed to you being signed off to a whole nother nonprofit 
that's contracted with the city to do this across town. And it's just, it's to me that I've, I've done all of that. And it it's, was so dehumanizing. Like, and, and then these places didn't quantify themselves. They would tell you as soon as you go in, as long as you sign in, you can sign in and go. <laughs> they tell you that when you go in. And you're like, well, okay, so much for job development. And, and that's that. And you're only doing it because you want to keep your public assistance benefits. None of that stuff works. It's just a waste of money. So I want to reimagine the shelter environment uh, and the safe haven environment. I want to close congregate shelters. I don't want that to be an option. You have, uh, um, I believe the figure is about 18,000 empty hotel rooms currently. Mm-hmm. Why not access that? And give people a better dwelling, even if it's temporary, a better temporary dwelling on their pathway towards housing. Mm-hmm. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about how you became the homeless hero? I started inside the shelter because of the food. <laughs> the mm. food was so so horrible. I was like, I got to do something. And I developed the homeless hero to hide and also to represent all homeless people. Mm-hmm. And the hero aspect of it comes from uh, Joseph Campbell's book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And in that we get something called The Hero's Journey, which is a template that many storytellers use. So I looked at people experiencing homelessness as being on a journey with the ultimate goal, the climax of our journey being to put the key into the door of our own dwelling. And how can New Yorkers better help the homeless population of New York City? Like, you know, just a regular, a regular Joe, right? How could they help? Well, first of all, when you encounter somebody that's homeless, just smile. Mm -hmm. And so that's just a start. Uh, But there's so many other ways. I tell kids, you know, work with your your school or your local clergy and, um, you know, faith leaders and, and all community members could do it. But I try to create safe, safe ways for people to engage and do good. So one of the things is do care packages. You know, you can do something. The group Open Hearts Initiative, they do free stores. Mm-hmm. And I always get people to support them. But also in different parts of the city, they're expanding to open up free stores. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of stuff that can be done to actually help people. But uh, the other thing is. Talk to your legislators. Ask that more be done. Even if you're not homeless, your family not person is not homeless, even if you're privileged, you got a couple of dollars, homelessness does affect everybody, whether you're riding a train, whether this person is in your building or in front of your building. Just do your part. If, if, and, and it's not obligatory, but if it's, it shouldn't hurt to engage the political process and say, hey, look, we need you to invest more in housing. There's no reason why people should be living like this. We need you to invest more in ensuring that people are that are homeless are being put in safer dwellings. There's a problem with the amount of beds. The mayor's call for 500, but estimates say that their street population, which I think is still a low number, estimates say that is is well over 3,000. So 500 beds are not going to solve our issue. Yeah. We need more beds. And and congregate settings is not an option. That's why we're in the streets. And then what about those who are in congregate shelters? Why are they there for three years, four years, five years? So we need to petition 
for our legislators to do budgets that make sense to address our real issues. And we have to understand, homelessness is not a public safety issue. Homelessness is a public health issue. Mm. We have to understand, we have to begin to stop using language that criminalizes homeless New Yorkers. And a lot of that is because media is fueling that as well as other people who probably don't really have that type of compassion for people who are less fortunate. Even though safe havens may be a better option than traditional shelters, it's still far from ideal. I spoke to Cynthia V., who was evicted from her apartment in New York City in March of 2020, just 10 days before the eviction moratorium went into effect. The family used their savings and stimulus checks to live in hotels, but it only helped them for so long. Her husband developed a drinking problem and she sent her son to live with a family friend. She's been in and out of shelters and on Anarchy Row, the homeless encampment located alongside Tompkins Square Park ever since. I have been homeless this time for two years. I was evicted 10 days before they did the moratorium. So I've been with this group about, get close to a month now. And um, how did you, you know, feel about today's sweep? What was about to become a sweep? Well, they made us an offer. You know, generally they uh, make offers. They try to get you to accept services. And in this case, we told them we wanted apartments that we were not interested in talking about any other alternatives. And he said he'd make calls and see if his cloud could move that along. And um, what are some of the things you don't like about living out here in the city? Well, it's, I have trouble sleeping at night because I imagine someone coming by and just shooting up each tent as they go down the line. Yeah. But um, my stuff gets ruined in the rain near constantly. People steal from me. I've lost three phones because I fell asleep with it in my hand. And then they take it. What is something that you would like New Yorkers to know about houseless folks like you? That if you live paycheck to paycheck, if you are not in the corporate suites, then you're really just one illness, injury, bad luck, thing. You know, my husband had a midlife crisis, and that's why we're homeless. It happens. It can happen to anyone. Would you actually mind telling me a little bit more about how you became homeless? I know you told me that you were evicted, but was there something leading up to that? Yes, my husband had been working two jobs with very little time off for a long time. And as he approached 50, he started feeling the burden. You know, he had a midlife crisis and he started to drink. The pressure was very great on him to work these jobs and pay the ever-increasing bills. We should have been in the lower end of the middle class, but we do not have a spotless credit record. So they would not allow us to move into an apartment. Eventually, we spent all the money on hotel rooms, and the cost kept creeping up. I couldn't do this to my son, having to move all the time, living on the street, and going through the police raids, because he's just a teenager. You know, it already has screwed up his education. Between COVID and homelessness, it's broken up our family. We all three are doing different things. We've been together for 15 years and living together for 12. With a year in the shelter, two years in the apartment they placed me in, and then the rest of the time we were together after that. And who's your husband now? I don't know. 
Wow. He hasn't come to find me though, so I guess he's not going to. And um, what do you, what do you, how can workers help a person like you? I think um, they've been very generous with helping me out with the basic living essentials. But um, I think for the bigger picture, um, if you see that someone is being swept, you could express your support for that person. Maybe call 311 and say that you are concerned for the welfare of this person because they are being swept, because their house is being taken. Or go out and show your support in person. You know, tell the DHS and police that what they're doing isn't right, that we have enough apartments. Write into the newspaper, call your congressman. There's a lot of ways. There's some groups you can become involved with. As our neighbors like Cynthia, Shams, and Lincoln continue to fight for better housing options for the homeless, it's still an uphill battle. Right now, there are only 27 safe haven facilities across all five boroughs, and rent prices have risen over 30% in the last year. In order to get involved or to learn more, follow advocates like the Homeless Hero and organizations like the Brooklyn Eviction Defense, a coalition of tenants in solidarity with people facing eviction. We've linked to them and more resources in our show notes. For more ways to get involved in your community, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description.